Hello, and welcome back to Tectonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. Last week, we heard from Peter Bentley, an artificial intelligence veteran who likes to pour cold water on some of the more extravagant claims about the technology. Even our best deep learning neural networks look pitiful when compared to the brain of a bumblebee or an ant, he says. This week, we hear from the head of a startup backed by Mark Zuckerberg's charitable initiative that trains software development talent from several African countries and connects them with big tech companies in the US. This could change how people think about what an engineer looks like. This could change how people think about how you build great teams and how people across different cultures interact with each other. That was the voice of Jeremy Johnson, chief executive of Andela. He spoke with the FT's Hannah Kushler in San Francisco. So thank you so much for being with me here today, Jeremy. Thank you, Hannah. It's good to be here. So first of all, let's just start with what does Andela do? So Andela is building a network of top engineers across Africa and providing the platform for the skills and immersive experiences needed for them to operate with top engineering firms around the world. We do that, you know, based out of Lagos and Nairobi. We have campuses in both cities. And it's been a crazy past three years. We're turning three in uh, about a month, just over 500 people now, you know, the majority of whom are, are engineers and working with companies across 35 different cities around the world. So describe to me what makes your model special, because it could just sound like you're an outsourcer. Yeah, we think most outsourcing kind of sucks. We think of it as a little bit different. Most of our partners do as well. Uh, The way that we operate with companies is actually much more akin to, you know, you have a team member who is based in the next state over, and they don't happen to be in your office every day, but they are in your 9 a.m. stand-ups and working with you in real time. And so things like time zones and language start to matter a lot. What is, I think the world is moving away from is the notion of like a nameless, faceless developer on the other side of the world. And instead, starting to think more through the lens of how do you leverage distributed teams as a really advantage? How do you leverage it as a tool for getting the best people possible? Because the best people probably, at least statistically, don't live within 20 miles of your office. And so if you had a colleague who lived in the next state over, you'd have probably gone to some meetings with them or you'd have seen them at the office holiday party or, or whatever. I mean, are these people ever actually meeting their teams? Yeah. So Andela developers at the beginning of each partnership actually spend two to four weeks on site with the partner companies. And so whether that's, you know, US, Europe, Asia, they are working there hand in hand. But more than anything, what they're doing there is building trust and rapport uh, because, you know, as as the tech world has evolved, it's becoming increasingly common to have what is known as distributed teams, to have teams that don't all sit in one location and instead operate in real time, but from different, you know, cities, states, countries, but at the same time, very seamlessly. And so how do you find these engineers? You know, over the past couple of years, we've actually become one of the most visible tech startups across Africa. We get a few thousand applicants a month you know, and have a 0.7% acceptance rate with almost no outbound marketing. People are finding us at this point. I mean, it, it didn't hurt to have, you know, Mark Zuckerberg personally lead our last round of funding and then come to visit uh, his first trip to Africa to spend time with some of the developers as well as get a chance to see the ecosystems in both uh, Lagos and Nairobi. But 
we've just started to uh, build enough of a, an awareness around Andela and what we represent that, you know, people find us. Yeah, I'm sure the Zuckerberg visit didn't... It didn't hurt. <laughs> it didn't hurt at all. People find him fascinating for some reason. Do you not find him fascinating? <laughs> I think he's he's done some pretty incredible things. And so why did he choose to invest in Andela then? You know, I first was introduced to his team not thinking it was going to be for a potential investment. It was just he is someone who cares deeply about education and unlocking human potential around the world and that it would just make for interesting conversations. And after a few a few meetings, you know, they said, hey, I... I think you and Mark would like each other. Do you want to come out and meet him at some point? Like, I feel like you'd like to learn more about what's happening here. And I was like, you know what? I, I think I can probably make time for that. <laughs> of course. And so came out, we sat down and so we were the first lead investment, but not the first investment CZI had made and walked through the previous investments and why they'd made them and why he was really interested in them. And, you know, made it pretty clear that he really does care about, you know, building things that matter and that are going to scale, but also going to have a profound impact as they do. And, you know, he knows a bit about that. And so when you think about, you know, the world of high-end engineering and what does it take to build great software, he knows more than most. Came, went down, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and who else has to, you know, simultaneously manage a billion plus individual users? Almost it's, two uh, billion these days. Yeah. It's a fascinating technical challenge. The model of investment from CZI, because it is a charitable initiative, how, how does that work? Are they putting money into you as if you were a not-profit? CZI has two different approaches. They have both a, a grant-making arm that does just give money directly to nonprofits, And then the other side of it is uh, they have an investment arm that operates like a venture capital firm that also has a, a point of view about the kind of change they'd like to create. You know, it was interesting. We... We also had uh, GV, formerly Google Ventures, come in in the same round. And they, I think, looked at it slightly differently. They care about the impact of what it was we were doing without question, but also thought to themselves, you know what, we feel like this could really become something that matters. And I think that CZI, you know, looked at it through the lens of if this works and it seems like it's working, then this could change how people think about what an engineer looks like. This could change how people think about how you build great teams and how people across different cultures interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was, you know, for them pretty compelling, as it obviously is for me and our entire team. And so Zuckerberg came to visit last August. Um, what did he do and what did he see? We didn't know about it during the investment. So that was not a, you know, a condition of it. It was, uh, it was uh, something we joked about. Like, you know what? You should visit at some point. And he was like, yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to. Not thinking that a couple months later that would actually be the case. But we, we learned shortly before the trip and obviously weren't allowed to you know, speak about it in advance. But it was one of the most fascinating responses to a public figure I've ever seen. I saw someone on Facebook write, a prominent member of the Nigerian tech community write, like, we will... We will look back on time for Nigerian tech as pre-Zuckerberg and oh, post-Zuckerberg, wow. literally. And it felt in many ways like a, a validation point for folks, especially some of the uh, Andela developers. Like the fact that someone like Mark would come to see them, and this sort of reverse pilgrimage, everyone would go to Silicon Valley, but would come to see them was a, a marker of, yeah, we can do this. Like, and the world is paying attention. And it, it was hugely motivating. 
That's interesting. So you think that uh, inspired a lot of people to start studying computer science? Without question, without question. And there's already, like, across the continent, you have a couple different trends taking place. One is this mass urbanization, but also a like the largest number of people getting smartphones at the same time in the history of the world. And because of that, you've got this emerging like series of tech ecosystems across most major metropolitan areas that are pretty advanced, actually. You know, I I started my last company in 2008 in New York, and i got to say, the tech scene in Lagos and Nairobi is probably more developed than New York's was in 2008 wow. and growing faster. And so it's been it's been fun to see that and to be part of it. So what are the backgrounds of the engineers that you hire? They come from all over. We don't require a college degree, but at the same time, there's a ton of self-selection that takes place because of how selective we've become. You know, engineers go through 64 different assessments before being accepted into Andela. And so about three quarters of folks accepted in have an undergraduate degree in CS or electrical engineering. So there's a lot of uh, folks who have spent some time in formal technical programs. But you also have dozens of examples of engineers who are entirely self-taught, who, you know, we've got a young man in class two, you know, second cohort in Nigeria, who was looking for jobs as a radio announcer and anchor before realizing, oh, wait a second, like, I'm actually really good at this whole problem solving thing. He did a couple online tests and realized, yeah, he was in the top 5% of all people on the planet and problem solving, just raw ability. And had always been interested in technology, but hadn't thought of it as a, a career path. And, you know, now a couple years into the program, he's, you know, a key member of a really intense, high-quality engineering team uh, and has been back and forth in the U.S. and has actually been on a number of different TV shows and outlets and profiled because he just had no you know, prior experience. Oh, that's really interesting. And so once you've recruited them, they go through some kind of boot camp? There's a two-week process right before someone is fully admitted, but towards the end of those assessments where we do actually think of it as a boot camp, but that is pre-someone being admitted into Andela. Post that, there's a you know roughly six-month immersion program that people spend time in simulated uh, environments like what it would be to work with you know, demanding, intense partners around the world, but also building out systems and tools for Andela to help us scale. Andela developers have built out you know, just about all of our internal systems that have allowed us to go from you know, zero to over 500 people in just a couple of years. And so you have people like playing Zuckerberg and <laughs> <laughs> playing product managers and project managers and architects. And by playing it, I mean playing it in the same way that, you know, a professional project manager or product manager would do and building out systems and tools that are actively in use by, you know, one of the fastest growing startups in the world. Yeah. What do they do when they're fully employed? What kind of companies are they working for? Are they all sitting in a row and all working for different companies? How does it work? We've worked with companies where Endel engineers are, you know, make up half of the six-person engineering team. And we've worked with Facebook, Microsoft, Google, you know, large public companies where we are adding on or augmenting existing teams. It's varied. What is sort of universal is we choose to work with companies that care deeply about the caliber of their engineering. You know, we expect our partners to understand why having great engineers is so important and to care about having those kind of people on their teams. And, you know, not all companies take engineering seriously. I think more and more companies are being forced to. I think as tech continues to ha- play a bigger and bigger role in all industries, the caliber of engineers is becoming a 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. More important thing, but, you know, luckily there's been sufficient demand for and all developers that we've been able to be pretty selective about the kind of companies that we also choose to work with, uh, which allows us to think about it a little bit differently. Yeah. And what about companies outside tech? We're constantly being told and seeing how, you know, some of the largest engineering departments belong to banks and other companies that have apps but aren't tech companies. Yeah. So we've had a number of companies like that reach out as well. We're actually working with a couple. I'm not allowed to reference them specifically without uh, their legal department signing off. But we have a number of Fortune 100 companies who have what normally has happened is they have an innovation or some kind of group that they've broken off and said, you know what, we need to find a way to get great technical talent and great developers. We need to be able to attract them in a different way. And so we need to create an environment that feels a little bit more startup-like. Those teams have then reached out to us and said, hey, like, we're a little different. We actually do care about you know running a great agile process and building really like cool, interesting products. Want to come work with us? And that's a, that's a relatively easy conversation generally. And so... What about the kind of products that they're working on? You know, traditionally outsourcing has been the more basic kinds of products. Are, are these, you know, people working on the newsfeed at Facebook? Not specifically the newsfeed, but uh, core products for our partners, absolutely. You're totally right that outsourcing as an industry is traditionally focused on, you know, ancillary non-core products. Uh, that is not at all what we're what we're looking at. The vast majority of our partnerships understand that if you have someone who is that smart and gifted, you want to put them on real problems. Uh, you don't want to waste that talent. And so we purposefully focus on companies where we're able to work on you know on core products. And you know sometimes you'll start off on something that's ancillary in order to prove yourself. But that's you know that's how the industry works. Over time. Without question, like we have Andela developers who are managing teams that include, you know, local and remote or distributed resources. You pretty quickly realize that, you know, when someone's good, they're good. And when companies are growing quickly, everyone has too much to do all the time. And so you're just trying to figure out, you know, who do I trust to get this done? And, you know, frequently that ends up being Andela team members. And are they also looking for them for advice about how products are used or should be developed for emerging markets? Because so many people have concentrated their engineering teams, you know, here in the Bay Area, which is not particularly representative of the kinds of phones or connections or even sort of cultural habits people have. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, there's a whole discussion around diversity taking place in Silicon Valley, but really around the country and world uh, in tech. And what is often overlooked is the opportunity that diversity creates to build systems and products that take more viewpoints into account and don't just stem from you know one individual person's lens that they see the world through. And I think that we're seeing more and more companies want to have the people building products who are representative of the people who will be using those products as well. Do so you want to have diverse teams that are able to debate and discuss and really engage around problem solving, but you also want to have people who can 
literally understand what it's like to walk in the shoes of the people who will be using that product. And as you have more people around the world in emerging markets coming online, you're having more and more products built for them. And that means you need engineers that are able to help with that. And so I think that's a trend that's absolutely going to continue. Obviously, in the U.S. at the moment, Silicon Valley is very concerned about H-1B visas and any other sort of visas that allow for highly skilled talent being further restricted by the Trump administration. Are you seeing people come to you and saying, I'm really worried that I'm not going to be able to get my engineers in anymore. Maybe I should just hire some of yours. You know, there's no question that the current sort of discussion around immigration is going to make it more complicated to find tech talent. It's already so complicated and challenging that it's hard to imagine it getting worse. I mean, there are literally five open jobs right now for every software developer looking for one. There's zero chance the domestic market is going to solve this problem. You think about it, this is not a zero-sum game. It's not a, there's a, there's a job. Like We work with a number of small but rapidly growing companies across the Midwest that you would not think of as tech hubs. And the core challenge they have is they can't find engineers. And because they can't find engineers, they can't hire salespeople, marketers, operations. Because there's nothing to sell. That's exactly right. You can't grow the company. We've actually enabled a number of companies to scale in non-tech centers that wouldn't have otherwise been able to. And quite frankly, that creates jobs domestically by being able to do that. You know, we are we are pretty apolitical as an organization, but I struggle to imagine how it is a good thing to restrict the number of smart, talented engineers, the ones that are really building things, from being able to engage with the country. But you haven't seen a sudden rush to you. You think this is just an ongoing problem? Well, the good news is we've had quite a bit of a rush before, and so it's, uh, it makes it a little harder to differentiate. But, you know, we're certainly seeing people asking us about it. We're certainly seeing people saying, look, if this becomes harder, like, is this something you could help me with? And I'm sure that will, that will continue. Even just the fear-mongering about it means people are then starting to worry, well, should I even deal with the pain of having to go through that process? You know, as that gets scarier, you start looking for more and more options. Ultimately, there is so much need for great tech talent around not just the U.S., but the world that, you know, those countries and, you know, areas that do a good job of attracting talent, those companies that attract talent are going to be the ones that ultimately win. It's a, you know, it's the nature of our economy. Mm. And have you been affected by any of the restrictions on immigration? If you're, if you're bringing over engineers, even for short periods of time, that you know, we haven't been directly. We're also not dealing with H-1Bs. Uh, and so, you know, we end up not getting directly involved. That said, you know, we have certainly have had engineers who have been asked quite a few more questions. And, you know, their travel plans have become more complicated because of it, which is obviously, a, you know, a shame. You don't want anyone to be unnecessarily hassled. But at the same time, we're not here to set policy we're here to solve problems and so we we just focus on that and keep going you said andel has grown very rapidly over the last three years you're now at 500 people is it a business that's easy to scale or because you're being so selective with the engineers will your growth inevitably slow and you won't be able to keep up for demand if anyone tells you like a certain business is easy to scale i'd be very skeptical like the reality is anything worth doing is really challenging that said i certainly have been blown away by how quickly we've been able to get up and running and begin scaling. Uh, obviously, you know, 500 is not 500,000, but it's, uh, 
it is a non-trivial number of people for a startup that's about to turn three. It, you know, we're definitely one of the fastest growing startups in the world at this point. And I actually think the selectivity is part of what drives why it's scaling so quickly. It seems counterintuitive, but part of why so many companies have reached out is because they're looking for not just talent, but really smart, passionate talent that's going to make for great team members. It's going to elevate their engineering team. And you know, because we are selective, because they understand that, yeah, these are the kind of people that they'd love to work with, uh, it changes it changes the dynamic of the conversation and allows you to spend less time focusing on are they great and instead knowing they're great and being able to focus on like how would we most effectively work together? How do you think about the dynamics of you know distributed teams? Like there are real other problems and challenges to solve that are totally overcomable, but are much you know much more interesting than just whether or not this is a talented person. We are thankfully able to take that question out of the equation. Yeah. And you said you're the fastest growing or one of the fastest growing startups. By what measure? Uh, looking at both number of people and also also revenue growth. Also looking at the number of articles written. Not that any you know, not that that's a you know phenomenal measure of success by any means. But I think there's a reason the world finds the story interesting. And, and what do you think your impact on the local tech industry in Nigeria will be? Are you sending out qualified engineers to it, or are you sucking up talent who wants to work for other big companies? So one of the reasons that Andela works so well as a structure is that the intent is not for people to long-term always be in that structure and in that process. It's by design a four-year period of time, and engineers are working with top uh, firms around the world during that, but you know, we've done a number of polls, obviously, you know, being a four-year program and being three years old, it's tough to say exactly how that plays out, but we've done a number of polls and it's pretty clear that many of the developers really somewhere between a third and a half of developers want to work with either take on leadership positions in their local ecosystems or want to start companies in their local ecosystems. And so our goal is to really help catalyze the careers of a few thousand world-class software developers in every major metropolitan area across the continent and you know over the next decade you know create a pathway for a hundred thousand brilliant developers to change the way that not just their lives function but the lives of people around them and the way the technology like interacts with their day-to-day lives with their country uh, and with their continent ultimately you know there's a strong undercurrent throughout andela of you know yeah there are lots of problems in the world almost no country, you know, no country doesn't have their, their challenges, but I want to be part of the solution. And I'm proud of where I'm from. And I'm going to show the world that engineers from Lagos, Nairobi are as talented as anywhere else. And I'm also going to work to be able to solve problems in my local ecosystem. You know, I think it's that symbiotic relationship that long-term makes it work. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tectonic. In the meantime, if you'd like to comment on today's show or suggest any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please email us at tectonic at ft.com. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Amy Keane.